You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together. We turn to the letter of Paul to the churches in Galatia chapter 5. Galatians 5, and we're going to read the verses 1 to 18. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Brothers, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. And as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Our text to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning at verse 23 and ending at the first verse of chapter 11. As we continue our series on the first letter of Paul to the church at Corinth. Everything, Paul writes, is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the market or meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the man who told you and for conscience' sake. The other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. For why should my freedom be judged by another's conscience? 
If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Thus far, the scripture reading in our text for this afternoon. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, in our text of this afternoon, the Apostle Paul is visiting a particular theme that he visits more often, not only in this letter, but also as you can take from our scripture reading in his other letters. And that theme or that subject is called freedom. In your NIV Bibles, you can even, above the text, read the heading, The Believer's Freedom. Yes, and when you think of it, who does not love freedom? It's one of the great aims in life. We all want freedom. We all long for it. The man who is hard at work in his job day by day looks forward to Freedom 55. And the couple who have maxed out their credit cards to the limits look forward to freedom from debt. And the woman who is sick dreams of freedom from pain. And the young man who has to take the bus to works dreams for the day when he can buy a car. You see, life is full of dreams about freedom. And so is biblical life. The Israelites in Egypt longed for freedom from Egypt, Pharaoh, and slavery. And once in the Promised Land, it wasn't long, and they hungered for freedom from the Philistines and the Ammonites and the Moabites. And carted off to Babylon, they soon prayed for freedom from the Babylonians. And once back in the Promised Land, it wasn't long before they were praying for freedom, this time from the Romans. And so it is, beloved, and so you can go throughout the history of mankind that freedom always is something that seems to be on the human mind and the human heart. There is always, it seems, something that we want to get rid of, something that hinders us, that holds us back, that hems us in, that restrains us, bothers us, burdens us. We all long to be free. Free as a bird, we often say. We all chase the dream. But yet often, we make it an impossible dream. We think that once we get rid of something, we will be really and truly free, only to discover that there is no such thing as freedom without reality, or freedom without responsibility, or freedom without restraint. Freedom, in other words, is never absolute. It doesn't mean that now you're free to do anything that comes into your mind or everything that enters into your heart. And do you want proof of that? Consider the Israelites again. 
The Lord gave them freedom from a very oppressive bondage, but did that translate into now we have no more challenges, no more hurdles, no more duties in life? Now we can finally do whatever we want, say whatever we please, live as we like? Hardly. It didn't take long and they were complaining bitterly about their new freedom. Soon they laid complaint after complaint at the door of their liberator God. In short, their view of freedom was skewed. But not just their free view. Paul addresses many of the Corinthian believers on this same subject because... They have much the same kind of problem. And no doubt the Holy Spirit caused these words to be preserved throughout the ages because so many of God's children are not without challenges too when it comes to this area of life. And so beloved, let's this afternoon take a good hard look at this matter called freedom. I preached to you on the theme, free to do everything to God's glory. And we're going to see that Paul writes, first of all, about freedom repeated. Secondly, freedom illustrated. And finally, freedom directed. Well, beloved, verse 23 opens with the words, Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Do those words ring a bell? Have you heard them somewhere else? Well, yes, you have. If you go back to chapter 6 of this same letter, and if you read, for example, verse 12, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now when you read some of these verses in the older translations, they give you the impression that here the Apostle Paul is doing all of the speaking. But that's not totally correct. Actually, it are some of the Corinthians who are doing some of the speaking. They are the ones who have found a new slogan in life, and they're always mouthing it. And what is the new Corinthian slogan? Well, it's this. Everything is permissible. And wherever they went, they bandied that about. Whoever they met, heard about it. It was a refrain. It was a so-called mantra. It was their theme song. And it's for this reason that the Nev translation is right when it puts the words of this particular Song between quotation marks. This is not Paul's song. It is their song. But does that make it wrong? Are they way off base when they sing everything is permissible? Well, not necessarily. For there is a sense in which they have entered into a new and glorious freedom. 
Formerly, Scripture says, they were slaves to sin, children of darkness, controlled by the devil, dominated by their fallen appetites and desires. When the Israelites were in Egypt, they may have thought that they were experiencing the ultimate form of bondage. However, our Lord Jesus and his apostles remind us, there is a deeper, darker, and more dreaded form of bondage. It's bondage to sin and to the devil. Only now as people rescued and redeemed by Christ, they are free of all that. And in addition, they are now heirs to the grace of life. Forgiveness, righteousness, glory, dominion, power, opportunity, it is all theirs. Sin no longer controls them. Death no longer dooms them. Judgment no longer overshadows their lives. Truly they. And we too as God's children in Christ are free. We're free to serve. Free to rejoice. Free to love. Free to live forever. Our lives, says the gospel, have experienced the most radical kind of change. Listen, for example, to Paul at the end of 1 Corinthians 3. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. And so you see, there is much truth in that Corinthian theme song. Only, only it does not represent the whole truth. And that's why the Apostle Paul qualifies it. Back in verse 6, he qualified it because some believers were in danger of running away with it and abusing it. They were using their newfound freedom in Christ as a carte blanche to get involved in sexual immorality. Read the verses 13 to 20 of 1 Corinthians 6. They said we are free. So it doesn't matter if we have sex with the temple prostitutes. Beloved, it's as a result of that that the Apostle Paul says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, freedom may be yours, but temple prostitution will not benefit your new free life. And neither will you benefit in this life if you are controlled by the lusts of the flesh. And so, beloved, the Apostle Paul makes it clear that there is in him irresponsible use of this freedom back in chapter 6. And now you can see in our text in chapter 10, he comes back to exactly the same point. And indeed, in the first part of verse 23, he repeats what he said back in verse 6. And as a matter of fact, if you look very closely at what the Apostle Paul writes, there are really four principles that he lays down here. 
first principle you find in the first part of verse 23. And it really comes down to this. A believer should only use his or her freedom when it is advantageous or profitable to do so. Paul is saying everything may be allowed, but where's the benefit to you? You have a new sporty car that can really move. You take it to the mission speedway and you push the pedal to the metal. But what will it profit you if you hit the wall going 250 kilometers an hour? Use your freedom for what benefits you. That's principle number one. And principle number two is found in the second part of verse 23. A believer should only use his or her freedom when it promotes the well-being of others. As Paul says, everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. That is, not everything builds up. Not everything edifies. Not everything helps others. We live in a very selfish, self-centered world. Often we live very self-absorbed lives. So how great is our concern for others? Well, beloved, that may be the style of the world, but it is not the style of the church of Jesus Christ. Loving God and loving your neighbor go hand in hand. We need to be concerned about how our freedom impacts on our neighbor. If it shortchanges him, undermines her, pushes him down, leads her astray, then it is not a good thing. Use your freedom to assist others. That's principle number two. And that brings us to principle number three, and it is found in the first part of verse 24, and in the words, nobody should seek his own good. In other words, a believer should not use his or her freedom for self-gratification. You know, the Apostle Paul makes the same point elsewhere. If you read Romans 15, verse 1, we who are strong are to bear with the failings of the weak and not just to please ourselves. But still some people, and alas, some Christians too are like that. Their life is all about themselves. They're only concerned about maximizing their own pleasure and maximizing their own fun. As long as they have what they need, want, and desire, then nothing else matters. Is someone like the rich fool in the parable? The man who was in love with himself, in love with his barns, with his real estate, with his farm, who makes his plans and dreams his dreams and builds his buildings and he drops dead. And so what is rule number three? Do not use your freedom for yourself alone. 
And finally, there is a fourth principle here, and it's found in the last part of verse 24, and in the words, but the good of others. In some ways, that's like principle number two, only here it is, a believer should use his or her rights to actively promote the good of others. It's the same, you might say, but it's even stronger than principle number two. It not only reminds us about how our freedom impacts on others, it also calls on us to actively as well as aggressively pursue their good, their well-being. And it naturally raises the question, what have you done for your neighbor lately? How much thought do you give to him or her? How many words do you speak to them? How much of an attempt do you make to understand them? In what way have you been an instrument of good, of blessing, of support in their lives? Paul says you need to use your freedom to make sure that you do good to others. Don't just be mindful of their welfare, but pursue good and that's principle number four and now perhaps beloved you begin to see that while freedom is a most wonderful thing it is really only wonderful when it is understood well and when it is exercised properly like so many of God's good and gracious gifts it comes to us with a challenge Shall we use it carelessly and so have it backfire on us? Or shall we use it responsibly and compassionately and so have it enrich our lives? That's always the issue. But then, beloved, if the Apostle Paul lays down certain principles here, that's not the end of the matter. Because if you look closer and if you read on, you see that Paul does more than simply lay down principles. He also has more to say by way of illustration. And he makes three illustrations to underline these principles on freedom. The first illustration is about the meat market. You find that in the verses 25, 26. And there the Apostle Paul says there is nothing wrong with going to the local meat market, picking out some rather choice and attractive pieces of meat, and going home and putting them on the barbecue. And at the same time, the Apostle Paul says when you do that, when you go into the meat market or into the butcher shop, you shouldn't go with the idea that you're some kind of a meat inspector asking all kinds of questions about where exactly does this meat come from, what is it eaten, or how has it been processed? No, he says, buy it, eat it, enjoy it. And you can, he says, because the earth is the Lord's, and everything in it. Paul quotes Psalm 24. 
as support. But then, beloved, if the first setting is the public meat market, the second setting or illustration is a private dinner. And in connection with it, the Apostle Paul says, there is nothing wrong as such with a believer eating together with an unbeliever. And he even says that such an invitation should not first be greeted with all kinds of hums and haws and questions and reservations. No, you should simply go and you consume the meat and you be fed. And neither do you have to hold your breath or, or fear that you may be eating tainted idol meat. No, relax. Consume. And be thankful. But that brings us to a third illustration. And that illustration is of a different category. Namely that of a religious dinner, if you will. You find it in the verses 28 to 30. There you have a case in which the host makes no bones whatsoever about the fact that he is serving meat that's been offered to idols. Folks, on the menu tonight is idol meat. Meat sacrificed to Zeus or some other Greek god. So what should the believer do now? Should he or she exercise their freedom and dig in? Paul says, in this case, no. You should not eat this meat that is being served. Why not? Why should this announcement cause this meat to be declared off limits? Well, beloved, the reason is because there are bigger issues to consider if you go ahead and if you partake. First, there is the matter of what about your credibility as a Christian? First, you claim to worship and to serve Christ as, as the only Lord and Savior, but you are still willing to consort with gods whom you claim to be dead and false. What damage does that not do to your reputation and to your witness? And secondly, what about the weaker Christian who is also present? You may be convinced that you can eat and enjoy and not be led astray, but what about your Christian neighbor who can't seem to get his mind around any of this? Will your eating benefit him? And third, what about your unbelieving host? How will you ever win him over to the cause of the gospel if you exhibit contradictory or what he may well be considered hypocritical kind of behavior? You can almost hear him saying to his unbelieving friends, those Christians, you know, they're really two-faced. 
They refused to go with us to the temple. But they'll still eat the meat that comes from the temple. Even when you purposely tell them that it is idol meat, they'll still dig in. And so, beloved, what happens? When a believer in this particular situation pursues his freedom at all costs, I would say his freedom backfires, hurts and damages and adversely affects him, his reputation, his weak fellow believer, the gospel, and especially the gospel's Lord. The children of God are free, but they need to use their freedom with care and consideration. Yes, and that has implications for them and for those believers. It also has implications for us today. What are we doing with our freedom? Are we insisting on it no matter what? Do we demand it and exercise it regardless Do we love the opportunity it affords, but ignore the challenges that it brings? Do we use it to maximize our selfishness? Or as a means to advance the good of others? What are we doing with our freedom? Be assured, beloved, that the Apostle Paul has no trouble answering those last questions. But the answer that comes in the verses 31 to the first verse of chapter 11 is clear. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. You hear it, Paul says once again, Christians are the freest of all people. We're free to do everything and to enjoy everything. We are free to eat and to drink. We are free to do whatever. We are free, but it is a freedom that always has God in mind. And the glory of God in mind. Enjoy your friends. Enjoy your work. Your marriage. Your family. Your money, your car, your music. Enjoy it all. Only remember that true enjoyment only comes when all of this freedom is directed to God and to His glory. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Freedom can so easily turn to bitterness. But not this freedom which is always mindful of the person and the presence of our God and the greatness of his name. You know, at one time, Conrad Black, 
he thought he was the freest of all men. He even wrote to that effect, the whole world lay at his feet. He had money, power, influence. He had a fancy title in the British Parliament, a beautiful wife, friends galore. But what happened to his so-called freedom? Well, if you know what's happened this past week, it's evaporated in a sea of scandal and accusation, looming poverty and imprisonment. And you know, that's what happens when freedom is exercised without restraint, without humility, without faith, without God. It just fritters away into bitterness and emptiness. That's why Paul says when you exercise your freedom, exercise it with an eye on God. And make sure the other eye is on others. How is my freedom impacting on those around me? Is it encouraging them? Is it bringing them closer to God? Is it anchoring them more and more in that great and glorious faith? Is it giving them a fuller life? Paul insists that what matters is the well-being of others. And you know in that... He is simply following in the footsteps of his great master and Lord Jesus Christ. Why did he come down to earth? Why did he take upon himself our human nature? Why did he humble himself all the way to the cross? Why did he come as a servant, not a ruler? It was all to serve and to bless others, you and I included. And now, of course, it's true that the Apostle Paul has not experienced the same kind of humiliation. But his life is full of the same sort of deep service to others. He doesn't own a fancy house on the French Riviera somewhere. He doesn't drive a Ferrari. He doesn't have a yacht with which he can tool around the Mediterranean Sea and see all the sights. Now all of his time, his love and devotion is directed to others. In serving, he imitates Christ, the greatest servant of all. Yes, and that is now what the Apostle Paul wants to see in our lives as well. As followers of Christ, we all have this calling to recognize, to embrace, to savor, and to exercise our great freedom. But at the same time, let us realize that this freedom is never absolute. It's never an end in itself either. It's true enjoyment and expression. It has everything to do with God. And our neighbor. Use it to serve him. Use it to serve them. 
And such an approach will bring you face to face with what it means to be truly free. Truly free. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.